Good evening. Well, we're in a series, fourth part of a series, six-part series called Hidden in Plain Sight. And this series uh, has us thinking about how we find the truth and, and how we listen is the key to how we find and understand what is, what is true. And we're not just talking about intellectual honesty. What we're trying to, to get to here is a deep truth that changes us, right? And so it, it has to get to our will. And that's really where we want to focus here tonight in a lesson called Mirror, Mirror. So, Jesus was a controversial figure, of course, and people would hear what he had to say, and they would try to figure out, is, what does he mean by this, and who is he, and is he the one from God? And Jesus said something interesting, really difficult, actually, uh, in John chapter 7 and verse 17, where he said, if your will is to do God's will, then you will know. You'll know whether I'm from God. You'll know who I am. You'll know the truth. If your will is to do God's will. And this is such a critical piece of this whole puzzle we've been talking about. Because I've often found, just be really honest, in my life, whenever I have struggled with some issues, trying to understand some things, more than once, when I really looked in the mirror, when I was really honest with myself, I realized the issue is not that complex. It's just that I don't want to believe what is so clearly true in the text. And it, it, it can sneak up on you sometimes if you're not paying attention. Because if your will is to do God's will, if you've already decided before you come to the text, whatever it says, that's what I'm going to grab onto, then you have a step towards understanding God's will. And so there's this process of Christian growth. We think of it like this. You hear the word, and then you know the truth, after you hear the truth, you know the truth, and then you decide to do the truth. But that is not what Jesus said. You see? He said, you decide to do it before you hear it. You decide to do it, no matter what, before you hear it, and then you will know. Because if you're starting with, I'll see whether I want to believe it or not when I hear what it is, then you already are putting yourself in a place where you are not submitting to Jesus. What we're talking about is deciding to do God's will. Jesus isn't our Lord unless we do his will. Jesus said once in Luke 6, Why do you call me Lord and don't do what I say? you got to do it. And so we have to will to do it, but actually... There's something even harder than deciding or committing to doing it, willing to doing it. 
See, when, when you will, your will is this, this uh, part of you that makes decisions, right? It's the part of you that says, this is where I'm going to go. And I'm saying, I will do this. But there is a difference between I will do and I do. There's a difference between willing to do something, between saying I'm going to do something, deciding to do it, and actually doing it. Because, you know, often the time of temptation or the time of opportunity to make a difference is not while you're reading the Bible. But it's later on, and there's this gap between when you read it and when you have the chance to actually do it. That's what we're going to talk about. Think of it this way, okay. When you look back, if you're married, when you look back to the time you were engaged, how much really changed from the day you were not engaged until the day you were engaged? Now think about the difference between the day before you were married and the day after you were married, right? I mean, Adrian and I didn't even live in the same state until after we were mar- until we were married. We were engaged, but all we had really was the promise of something ahead. There's a huge difference between I will do and I do. Right? And so what we want to talk about is doing God's word. And what does it take to do what God says? And we started with something Jesus said there in John 7, 17. We're going to end with something Jesus said. But in the middle, we're going to focus on a passage that his little brother wrote, his his half-brother, his earthly brother, James, what James wrote in James chapter 1. And we're going to look at three pictures of listening from James 1, 19 to 27. There is a kid's book that some of you, old kid's book, some of you may have read it to your kids. It's about Alexander and the terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. And it's just things go bad in this kid's day. They have lima beans for dinner. I hate lima beans. There's kissing on TV. I hate kissing. (laughs) And so he goes through, and and the lesson is sometimes bad things happen. Wherever you are, just sometimes, sometimes you just have a bad day. But imagine, just paint an imaginary scenario. This is Alexander as a grown-up having another very bad day. Okay, so Alexander is late for, he's going to throw a dinner party at his house, and he's late. And so he's speeding through an intersection. And as he speeds through the intersection, he's hit by a truck barreling through because, you know, he's going on through the intersection whenever he shouldn't. And he's not, he's not injured, so that's good, but you know how it goes. You've got to do the insurance thing, and everything slows down. And so he gets back, and he's already late, and now he's, he's finally home. And he runs out to the garden to get some tomatoes for the, the salad he's going to prepare, and that's going to be the feature, this heirloom tomato salad. It's going to be the feature of his, his meal, but the, he hasn't looked at the garden in a while. And the garden is overrun by weeds and bugs. No tomatoes. Okay, that's a bust. Sal's a bust, so then he goes to get the door. People are here, 
And as he's answering the door, he looks in the hallway mirror and he sees he's got a big smudge across his face and his hair's a mess. But it's too late to do anything, so he opens the door and he thinks, man, what a horrible, terrible, rotten, no good, very bad day. I've been here before when I was a little kid eating lima beans. Right? So he's thinking, this is an awful day. And you might have sympathy for him. I might have sympathy for him. What a bad day. But what if I told you that he had the same day the day before? And he's going to have the same day the day after. He's going to be late and he's going to speed through the intersection. And he's going to, he still hasn't tended to the garden. And he's looked in the mirror in the morning, but he didn't deal with anything. Okay, so the idea is, if we make the changes that need to be made then the outcome is different. But if we don't change anything, then it all stays the same. And this is the intersection, the, the garden, and the vanity. This is three pictures from James 1. First, we'll talk about the intersection in verses 19 to 20, and then we'll talk about the garden in verse 21, and then we'll talk about the vanity, the mirror, in verses 22 to 25. So let's start in the intersection. Let's read James 1, verses 19 and 20. If you have your Bible, you might want to open there. James 1, verse 19. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And I think verse 19 has to do with any time you're listening, but... When you get to verse 21, it becomes clear this is in particular in context of listening to God. Every time you get a chance to listen to God, you're at a crossroads. You have an opportunity to do something. You're at a crossroads, and so James here gives us a traffic light. And he says, he's slow to speak, and slow to anger, and quick to hear. You know, it seems like we're always going, going, going. This is just this is just life these days. We're just there's always the phone blowing up, and there's people to drive to soccer practice, and there's dinner to make, and there's all kinds of things for work and for you know the lawn is out of control. And what are you going to do? Going, going, going. And we can just keep doing that even when we sit down to open the Bible or we're hearing or discussing God's word where we're just, our mind just stays racing and we speed on ahead of the word that is meant to be implanted in our hearts. And so what do we need? We need a yellow light. What do we need? What does the yellow light mean? What does it mean? Some of you know my favorite taxi scene with Christopher Lloyd taking the taking the driving test, and he asks somebody, Psst, "What does a yellow light mean?" And the guy says, "Slow down." And what does Christopher Lloyd say back? What does? I think of this every, this story, that scene, every time I read this, this verse, because it is, it's just a reminder. Look, there's somebody that you need to listen to. And again, especially when I'm trying to listen to God. What does a yellow light mean, Ryan? Slow down and listen 
Just like put the brakes on for a minute. Pause everything else in life because God has a word for you. A whole bunch of them. And they will change you if you let them settle into you. But, but they're, they're not going to do it if you just brush past. Or like the, you know, the parable of the soil where it doesn't get past skin deep. You have to slow down to hear God and listen. Be slow to speak. Be slow to defend yourself. Be slow to justify yourself. Be slow to argue back. And stop reacting in anger. You know, don't get mad about it. Listen. Listen. And so there's this this sense of of, uh, how we hear starts with our speed. Our speed, really. But then there's the second picture of the garden. Now read with me verse 21. Again, James 1. I want to keep your finger there, unlike what I did there. Keep your finger there, because we're going to be in James 1 for a minute. James 1, verse 21. He says, Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. I love that word, rampant. Like, it is out of control. Like weeds all over the place. And, um, and this word for filthiness is interesting. It, it can just mean that whatever soils you. And he says, strip it off, you know, like taking off dirty clothes. But it has a medical meaning in, in the root word of this, uh, the, this Greek word. It comes from a, a word that can also mean earwax. Which I just thought, and Barclay says maybe there's maybe that's the meaning in there. I don't know, but it's a pretty pretty helpful picture. Just like earwax can block our hearing, wickedness, you know, rampant weeds of of just ungodly things can make it harder for us to hear God. In other words, your your preparation for listening starts before you pick up the word or before the sermon starts. Right? What you're listening to in the rest of your week, what you're thinking about, what you're doing, is setting the stage for how you will receive God's word. He says, he says you've got to put away or strip off all the filthiness and rampant wickedness so that you can receive with meekness, the implanted word. And there's that word meekness that we always struggle with. Proutes, the Greek word proutes. Um, it's, a very, it's a lot of Greek people, Greek scholars say it's, it's an untranslatable word. Some people try to talk about it like, uh, like gentle strength, which I think is pretty good. Like there's a, a powerful serenity. There is a disciplined calmness in this meekness. And what it's really describing in this passage is the ultimate teachable spirit. Because there is enough gentleness and humility to receive correction, to receive what you need to hear. But there's also enough power and discipline to do it. See how that's the ultimate teachable spirit? 
This is, so he's saying, receive, let it be planted in you, this meekness that is willing, like this was a word that was often used for those mighty war horses that would go wherever they were directed. No matter, they wouldn't get spooked by, by the, the battlefield, they would just go where they were told to go. And that's us. If we have meekness, we will go where the Lord says to go. Like the, the servants of old, Isaiah and Isaiah 6 and Abraham and Abraham 22 will say, when God says, hey, Ralph, hey, Ray, hey, Emma, we say, here I am. What do you have for me to do? I'm ready to follow. That's meekness. That's a servant's heart. That's a readiness to receive the implanted word because the word goes into you, the ingrained inherent word and that that's what will save our souls and so we have to prepare our hearts to be seated and then we have to receive the word with that teachable spirit and finally we have this picture of the vanity in verses 22 to 25 let's read this he says instead of that but be doers of the word Instead of the filthiness and rampant, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty... God's law, God, this new covenant law that frees us, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. He will be blessed in his doing. And so we can deceive ourselves, we can look in the mirror, we can see who we are, and walk away and just act like we're fine, even though we just saw it, you know, just, it's so easy to do. You do not have to work very hard to deceive yourself and tell yourself, I'm fine. I'm fine, however it is. Or we can receive this word and look intently, look at the word and see what it says. And no, we need to do what it says. Boy, a spiritual mirror. One thing to look in a physical mirror, but a spiritual mirror that shows us where we're, not just all bad stuff, where we're getting it right, where, what, the, what the Lord is pleased with. But also, it shows us if there is something that we need to change. That is powerful. That is what happens when we look intently into the word of God. And so, you know, we, we look at these things, and like Alexander, we could just say, well, that was a really bad, bad day. I, I hate that these bad things are happening or whatever. Or we can look and we can make changes. And so he says, be a doer. And the opposite of a doer, he says, is to be a forgetter. That's an interesting, interesting, you think a doer or someone who's lazy. A doer or, you know, the inactive person. I don't know. 
but it's a doer or a forgetter because it's about, remember what we said at the beginning, the gap between when you read it and when you get the chance to do the right thing. What's, what's the opposite of forgetting? Remembering. <laughs> it sounds like so simple, it's so basic that there's not much power in it, but it is really helpful. This is one of the most important ideas in all of the Bible. Over and over again, we're told to remember. We were remembering this morning. The Passover was to help the people remember. Remember uh, who it was that led you out of the wilderness. Remember. There's this word here that's sometimes translated, some of the translations say persevere, or some people say, some, some translations say abide in it. Um, the one who looks into the perfect law, English standard says, and perseveres being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Persevering, this idea is continuing in the word. It's that you didn't leave it at your bedside. You kept it with you. You're sticking with it. Maybe you fall down, but you get back up because the word is something you are living constantly. You are thinking about constantly. You are challenged by constantly. And so that's the heart of of this act of will to listen. Because we won't get it until we do it. Until we decide we're going to do it, and then we do it. That's how you, that's, that's part of getting the truth, is actually living it. Actually taking it in. And then he closes this chapter by saying, if anybody thinks he's religious, here's what you need to do. Religion... It's almost like a word that people don't like anymore. Religion, you know. I've ever heard somebody say, "I'm not, I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual," you know. Well, the religion idea here is it really does have to do with the practice, and it could mean uh, just outward forms. But but here James says the practice of religion, the practice of the worship of God. Involves this. If anyone is religious, true religion is this. You got to keep your mind clean and pure. You've got to go and serve those who are truly in need. You've got to get control of your tongue. In other words, do, whether they're basic or they're hard, do all of the things God says to do. Religion is about listening to God and actually doing what he has to say. That's pure and undefiled religion. Whenever Jesus was on the mountain of transfigurations, uh, of transfiguration, and Peter and John were looking, and Elijah and Moses are there, and there's this moment where Jesus, is, his face is glowing, and there's this clear acknowledgement from the Father that this is no ordinary teacher. This is, God says from heaven, my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. That wasn't where he ended. He said one other thing that Luke records for us. Listen to him. Listen to him. Listen to Jesus. Follow Jesus. 
That is, that is the, the call of each of us who are his followers, and that is the invitation to those who aren't his followers. Listen to Jesus. Make him Lord over your life. He is already the judge and ruler who has all authority. Give him control of your life. Submit to him. Confess him. Be baptized into him tonight. We invite you to come while we stand and sing.